wow, this is so fancy. How you doing? Pretty good. How are you? Uh, this might shut off. <laughs> nope, nope, it's going okay. I was having issues with... Um, I interviewed Heizu on mm-hmm. TikTok. Mm-hmm. And uh, it wouldn't take with the uh, Anchor app. But this seems to be working. So thank you so much for joining me. Yeah. Good to be here. Sorry. I'm still getting. Uh, I know you as Hey Cassandra on TikTok. I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about yourself, family work, all that. Yeah. um, I'm a single mom. And (laughs) yeah, that means I do lots of different things for work. So I I work at a mediation center. That's my day job. And um, I I do graphic design freelance and lots of different things with that. But my favorite is book design. So I get to work with um, a few different lefty presses like Autonomous Press and AK Press. And that's real fun. And then just like lots and lots of organizing work. What do you do for uh, organizing? Um, I'm in a few different groups. The the one I'm I'm probably most active in. We we do climate justice work, but it's specifically around building uh, regional solidarity to support the communities we see as most um, uh, most immediately affected by the climate crisis. So like migrant okay. workers, climate refugees, uh, tribal groups, stuff like that. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Um, so I noticed that you get a lot of pushback from um, reactionary Zionists on your uh, page. <laughs> yes. Could you um? <laughs> could you explain Zionism and the effects that it has on? ostracizing you and other progressive uh, people of the Jewish faith from your community? Yes, kind of. I can kind of do that. Um, (laughs) So I, I think the first thing is that I'm really lucky to have a really great in person community. Um, So I, you know, I know anti Zionist Jews who, don't have physical community because of their anti-Zionism. And that's not the case for me. Um, So I'm really, I'm really grateful for that. Um, But yeah, most of the pushback I see is online and it does tend to be really reactionary. Explaining Zionism (laughs) is like a whole podcast episode in and of itself. Um, and, And I think that one of the reasons people have such strong reactions to it is because it's looked a lot of different ways historically. Um, So, so what I'm most interested in is the way you get out of the wind. So it's not loud. Um, What I'm most interested in is, is the way that Zionism is played out by the state of Israel and the way the state of Israel uses it to um, justify. Yeah. Justify its actions. Um, but historically, not all Zionists agreed on all things. There are different types of Zionism. There's, you know, 
spiritual or religious Zionism. There's labor Zionism, which has some pretty cool aspects to it. There's political Zionism. Um, and then even historically anti-Zionist movements have looked very different from one another. And there were Jewish liberation movements that were just non-Zionist. So I did not I know this. Yeah, yeah. It, I think we kind of monolith both Zionism and anti-Zionism. And it's for good reason because it, it has a particular effect right now that's... I don't know. Well, I I personally am not a fan of trying to reclaim the word. I think it's 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 shot. Yeah, <laughs> but there are a lot of Jews who are pro Palestine and who are critical of the state of Israel, but still call themselves Zionists because it does have religious aspects that are that are really important to folks. Oh, I imagine. Um, yeah. the The only um relation I have to the word Zionist is. Uh, the effects it has on Palestinians. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the case for a lot of people, and uh, a lot of that has to do with propaganda, not just from the state of Israel, but in in Jewish communities here. I I wasn't raised in a shul, so I didn't experience this, but I hear from lots of other Jews that like the indoctrination starts pretty early, you know. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have to go through that, but it's, it's very real for many people. How, um, how important is faith to you? And do you, uh, draw any connections from Judaism to, uh, leftist ideology? Faith is not important to me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was, so my, my mom's side is Jewish, but she was, she had a really rough childhood and wasn't raised practicing anything. Um, and she converted when she met my dad and he was Southern Baptist. So that's how I was raised. Okay. Um, so, so would you consider yourself ethnically Jewish? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I'm practicing at this point, but uh, the reason Judaism appealed to me aside from, you know, ancestral ties and whatnot is that it's mm-hmm. not faith it's not faith-based okay. um i think not all jews would agree with that there was a particular chabad rabbi recently who i got into it with a little bit on tiktok about that but but for for most folks it's not about faith it's about this idea of tikkun olam which is making the world a better place um so yeah faith i never I never really could fit into my dad's church because it is faith-based and I just could never do Baptism that. I couldn't, couldn't perform bad. that. <laughs> yeah, Baptists are pretty rough. Yeah. Yeah. It was real rough. I was in it for a long time and like went to seminary and stuff. Was it, um, was it an important part of your childhood baptism? I mean, the, Baptist. yeah, the church. Yeah. Yeah. My parents are still super involved. Um, is yeah it's interesting it's interesting but it was it was pretty all-encompassing um yeah (laughs) and radicalizing i mean i think that's the reason that were were you able to take um uh, take your experiences with the uh, baptist church and um how did that foment your radicalization yeah i so i was in it real deep and i remember in middle school, I was like 
if you want me to have faith in this thing, I have to understand what all the other things are. Like if Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to choose one, I have to, you know, my neurodivergent brain was like, (laughs) we must explore all systems and options. (laughs) It's always sensible. Yeah. So I would like take, I would take my allowance and go to the used bookstore on the weekends and like buy every religious text I could. And then I'd take like the apocryphal books and the Quran and stuff to, um, to service with me and, and cross-reference things like a, a little weirdo. Okay, that's kind of of great. And I remember I was 18 and I was in seminary and it was the first time, um, or no, sorry, it was the second time Bush was up for re-election. And it was the first time that gay marriage was up for vote in Oregon. And of course, my pastor preached a sermon on how, you know, we can't let the gays get married. And so I like opened my Bible to first Corinthians and went up to him after service and was like, but this passage says that we can't hold people to the same standards who aren't Christians. And he, he told me that I should have more faith and talk less because I'm a woman. Oh. Um, and that's when I was like, all right, I'm, I'm done. And uh, I think that the identity crisis that followed lined up with me meeting some really awesome anarchist folks. Oh, that's perfect. And that just seemed logical to me. Um, is there a reason you find yourself more attracted to anarchism than anything else? Um, that's a good question. I think that I think that uh, Marx's economic philosophy makes a ton of sense, and that if anarchists aren't paying attention to that, they're really missing out. And I think that there are certain um, strategies that come to us from communism that make a lot of sense, like dual power is a huge part of my practice. But I think that authority, authority is the big issue. Um, but the older I get, the more I identify with something more like communalism or like democratic confederalism maybe. Okay. But most people don't no. know what those things are. So I just, it, I, I, I agree that um, it, it, the entire aspect of hierarchy place has such a um driving force in all of our societies yeah we 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 hold dear so much to authority that we don't even we don't even recognize that it's just uh people enacting their will yeah totally i'm I'm definitely like a bottom-up um power sort of person and also you know, I was I was just, I was recently listening to this podcast about the Russian Revolution, and they were talking about the main difference between um, Bakunin and Marx, and and this idea uh, from the First International about um, um, the Marxists, the communists were saying, you know, we need this vanguard. We need it's it's a it's a, a more active sort of revolution and then the the mutualists were saying no 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 we need to build these workers cooperatives and um Mm -hmm. i don't know i see a place for both but i don't really see the potential for a massive revolution in our lifetime unfortunately no i i tend to agree with you there I, i feel like the um right now our best bet is reaching out and building connections with with people of all ideologies yeah of the same big, class big tent big tent leftists 
Except for liberals. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I do think, though, that, like, uh, my friend, my friend Margaret Killjoy, I'm going to steal her her verbiage but she says our job as leftists should be to usher people into the left um and to that extent i'm like open to talking to liberals Mm -hmm. if i can usher them into the left (laughs) yeah no and there's there's clearly a difference between um a citizen liberal and a professional pundit yeah or a pmc liberal Right. Who is just protecting their own status while being woke. Yep. Yep. A spokesperson for neoliberalism. (laughs) Those are, are, yeah, those are people that can't be reached. No. Agreed. Um, Do you think social media plays an important part in radicalizing other people? Do you think we can expand on it? Or take different routes with social media? That's a big question. Um, It's interesting. So I don't know how old you are. I'm assuming we're um, both older and remember, you know, radical spaces prior to social media. (laughs) Uh, 39. Um, Cool. I'm 35. So, so, yeah, it's amazing to see how social media has um made radical ideas accessible mm-hmm. to a whole lot of people and also i can see the ways it's incredibly damaging <laughs> oh for um, sure and i i miss those in person spaces you know like i'm not going to say the left was less divided 15 years ago but it the divisions felt surmountable because when you're talking to someone face to face um Oh yeah, you know, well, I mean, we're, human, we're humanize them <laughs> exactly, and we we all have we all have mixtures of ideologies. Yeah, but no one is part of a monolith that can be lockstep with any ideology or any theory. And so, when you're face to face, you're not gonna you're not gonna call anybody a bootlicker to their face. Because <laughs> there would a... be very real consequences. <laughs> yeah, I mean, nobody wants to get hit. <laughs> so we find common ground in person that yeah. that we're not gonna we're not gonna search for over over social media. <laughs> yeah, and I I also see like social media leftism as being very uh, identity driven. Um. <laughs> Which doesn't have to be a bad thing, but when it's not grounded in like a larger analysis, I think it ends up being uh, somewhat empty and reactionary. No, I I, I also agree. With that. I think it's it, it it can be an aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, people have to defend their aesthetic choice. Yeah, yeah, and then my my personal pet peeve, just because a lot of the work or one aspect of the work I do is around transformative justice and mediation and things like that. Like watching the way the left uses social media to reproduce punitive justice models. is just like yep. the thing I want yep. to scream about all the time. 
we are we are so quick mm. to uh, deny rehabilitation mm-hmm. if they fit a certain mold if the offender fits a certain mold yeah yeah and even i mean it i remember when it, it started out as just like doxing fascists and then we were doxing abusers and then we got into this like really intense leftist purity thing where is if someone had a differing ideology or you know fucked up in the slightest um they were canceled or shamed or whatever not were are it's it's active and like dude when i (laughs) when i was a baby leftist i believed some fucked up shit you know Mm -hmm. and it was because people were patient with me that I was able to learn and they weren't like wow you're an awful person for not understanding something no um, instead we we shame them yeah and yep. send them screwing off to to whoever's <laughs> willing to pick them up which is like sometimes fascist you know yeah yeah I mean they're always there waiting yeah are there activists uh past and present that uh, really speak to you on a personal level and inform your activism? I don't know. I, I saw that question was like, ah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. I mean, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I'm, I don't believe in having heroes and maybe okay. like, maybe I've taken that a little bit too far. Um, no, it's it's. I think it's a good base to run on. Yeah, I mean, I to think... recognize the hum- the fallibility in everyone. Yes, I think I think that I romanticize Emma Goldman a little bit just because, like, ah, anarchist Jewish feminist, amazing. I don't know. Oh, um, that's but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> that's, <great. laughs> that's probably my like my closest thing to you know historical inspiration. Okay. Are there any um, like uh, causes or actions or works that uh, that really speak to you? Yeah, I um, <clears throat> I've spent a lot of time over the last year trying to understand movements like movements that seem anarchistic to me but are mm-hmm. not openly anarchists so like the zapatistas things that are yeah. happening in rojava um yeah. so understanding i don't know indigenous indigenous radical movements feels real important right now uh, especially considering the uh, various oil pipelines yeah and the actions against them yep yeah and just i don't know the the way hopefully maybe it's just in my little like internet bubble but the way the world seems to be um opening its eyes to how awful settler colonialism is and land back movements and things like that well i feel like um the more things escalate and the more we witness mass migration ecological Mm -hmm. migration uh, people are gonna. Pe- I mean, people know 
the oil is bad and oil is evil and <laughs> they know these pipelines are poisoning communities yeah but it's i don't think it's in their face enough uh we just said yeah. like how we set the gulf of mexico on fire <laughs> and then, then this then, was memeified <laughs> the, the the next day it was out of the news yeah <laughs> i mean yeah i mean we I'm in the Pacific Northwest and I, I was talking with a friend who's also a climate activist and we were just sort of cataloging the catastrophes in our area alone over the last year. And it was, you know, COVID and then uh, wildfires, like wild, wildfires. Yeah. <laughs> and then a few months later, everything froze and like trees were exploding and I didn't have power for 10 days. And then a few I... months later, it was 115 degrees. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's bananas. Yeah. Uh yeah, we we got hit um by the um Derecho mm. uh this last year. Yeah. And we were yeah, we were out of power for ten days. Our our state was ill equipped ill equipped for any such natural disaster and I mean, we had to help our neighbors out, you know, we had to feed our yeah. neighbors and we wouldn't have been able to do that if we were on a first name basis. Yep. So uh, I feel like just reaching out to your direct community is the best possible way to mm-hmm. uh, affect change. I don't know if there are yeah. uh, suggestions you have for others to reach out i don't i so one of the groups i work with is mutual aid disaster relief which um was formed out of mutual aid efforts um during hurricane katrina and i feel like they're an amazing resource but but uh um i just started Hold on, let me back up my brain. So I, okay. I I transcribe a podcast called Live Like the World is Dying that my friend Margaret runs. And we just collectivized it and it's gonna turn into a zine imprint as well, which is really fun. Um, but it's it's like a an anarchist prepping podcast, and the premise is that um it's not this like individualistic prepper mentality that's gonna mm-hmm. prepare us for disaster. It's it's um community action. Oh, fantastic. Um, yeah, it's really cool. You said it's called The World is Dying? Live Like the World is Dying. Oh, Live Like the World is Dying. Mm-hmm. Oh, excellent. I will look that up tonight. It's very, um, it's surprisingly hopeful for a podcast that's about, you know, climate collapse and mm-hmm. the apocalypse. <laughs> well, I mean, this... It it, it 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 is grim, yeah. And I feel like there are terrible things waiting in the future, but it's it's gonna be. We could make that a catalyst to mm-hmm. actually reach out and help other people. Yeah, that could it could it could bring us together as a community to ensure the survival of mankind, because. Because we, we have kids. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what is, you know, the future of our children is at stake. Yeah. 
what is your thoughts on theory versus action? Both and. Yes. (laughs) I I mean, I will uh, be the first to hate on theory bros, but like, it's so important. I, I don't know. I think. I think they're equally important. Having an analysis and then acting on that analysis is how we do, right? No, I agree. Um, You you have to act, but acting without an ideal is kind of Mm -hmm. just fumbling around in the dark. Yeah. Also, people have done this shit before, you know, like people have done things like this before. So we might Mm -hmm. as well not reinvent the wheel. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, can you expand more on your um, own personal uh, activism and what you do with within your community to help others? Yeah. Sorry, my cat is trying to attack my feet. What's your cat's <laughs> name? Uh, his name is Falcor because he likes to be scratched under the chin, just like the luck dragon. Um, oh, geez. What was that horse's name? that's when i realized that the world hates us it was a devastating scene (laughs) yeah so my personal activism i live in a like small-ish town between two towns that are very very politically active so it's been really interesting Um, to try to organize in my community because if people want to get plugged in, they tend to go north or south for an hour and, you know, plug in there. Um, But, but yeah, so I I work with this group that, that is interested in building regional solidarity throughout our whole valley. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I'm also trying to start a transformative justice group in my community different organizations I work with have tried to start them internally but I think that we need like a a coalition because often when there's conflict between two organizations um, there's no one to help with that that that's neutral you know so so yeah that's been a big focus of mine recently is starting a transformative justice group even if it's just a study group or something so that we can have better theory um but people really only tend to want to do that in the midst of a crisis which is like not the time to do that organizing (laughs) it's 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 when people it's the only time people are aware of an issue is when it's when it's too late yeah and and with this specifically like we have to have those structures in place beforehand um and that will forever be the thing that i'm like most motivated and passionate about and like most disgruntled about because no one really pays attention (laughs) what does Um, a reformed justice system look like to you a reformed justice system Mm -hmm. it doesn't yeah. <laughs> um I'm a I'm a I'm a full on yep. abolitionist. The police state, the carceral system, um do away with it all. I think we need like community response teams for people with mental health crises, crises, crises. Um and I think we need like lots 
of community mediators. And we also need intact communities. And maybe that's why it seems daunting to people because transformative justice really relies on having stable communities. And most of us don't have that. So um, what you're proposing is taking the ridiculous amounts of wealth that we put into a punitive justice system and focusing that on uh, on community and uh, and caring for people the most desperate. Yeah, that sounds good. I mean, I don't even think about like funding and stuff like that. I just I just want the leftist spaces I'm involved in to begin to care about these issues because this is an okay. example of bu- building dual power and divesting from the carceral system. Um, okay. But you know, as someone who works for like a nonprofit community mediation center, it would sure be great if the state funded us more. <laughs> that, that hurt, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. My paycheck is not great. <laughs> Um, do you think that we should be reaching out to reactionaries and uh, Republicans and bigots in the hopes of uh, uh, fermenting a class consciousness? Yes, I do. Um, yeah, I I always think of my grandpa when I think about this because, mm-hmm. you know, he was a small town boy and never left small towns and was raised during a certain time period and is like, I'm very lucky that my family isn't uh, openly racist. They're more the colorblind sort of racist, but, you know, he's a racist. A soft racism. Yeah. Um, but... He is class conscious, right? Because he's always been poor. (laughs) He was the oldest of 18 and had to start working. Like he dropped out of ninth grade to start supporting his family, you know? And so we can talk about a whole lot of things and um, find common ground on a whole lot of issues that I would not be able to find common ground with like a rich Democrat. No, I agree. There's, um, I mean, there's, uh, there's a, a casual liberal that you can talk to and invoke uh, a kind of class consciousness in, but then there's a PMC Democrat or a pundit that isn't going to listen. Yeah, and is more interested in maintaining their status and their privilege, while maintaining a level of uh, wokeness, as opposed to helping uh, those those in need. Yeah, performative wokeness. Yes, I think too that uh, uh, when we talk about class, we also we also have to talk about the urban rural divide and. I know that there are groups as rural organizing project is, I think that might just be an Oregon thing. Um, But their whole goal is to help radicalize rural folks. And it's, it's pretty fantastic. (laughs) 
Oh um, yeah, I just I just got off the phone with um Hazel from TikTok and she's in, in the Appalachians. Mm-hmm. And we talked a lot about um about reaching out to uh people in the southern US that mm-hmm. have no concept of anything other than uh right wing reaction. Yeah. But there's like there's such a rich history there of oh, radicalism yeah. and of labor organizing and mm-hmm. yeah it's I think that I, I I things have changed with the militia movement in Oregon um, I think we went from we we really there's, there's a really great document it's called Up in Arms that Rural Organizing put out my my friend Spencer Sunshine um, was the main writer for it but it's it's all about the evolution of rural Oregon and the, the Patriot movement. So how the militia movement evolved into the Patriot movement. And I think that when it was the militia movement, um, we actually had more in common because they tended to be anti big government um, and had a certain amount of class consciousness. And, and now it's, it's shifted. There were common, there were, yeah, there were common threads that you could connect with before even if it was um, kind of bananas but now it's just yeah would you say it's faith-based or do you think um the current patriot is just blind patriotism uh probably both mm-hmm. it's um it's like the inverse of identity politics right <laughs> But I mean, even even the early militia movement was was bananas, and and it's like it's um so much of it was based in conspiracy theories and like openly mm-hmm. anti-Semitic and anti-Black conspiracy theories, like yes. the sovereign citizens and shit. But um, but if we're just if we're just talking about like being able to to find common ground in terms of class and maybe use that as a way to build bridges and like convert people, essentially. <laughs> Um, no, I, I I tend to agree um, that we should be reaching out. I think there's, um, I think we also have to acknowledge that uh, me and you reaching out to bigots and reactionaries is different than expecting a person of color or. Oh, yeah. Uh, a trans person reaching out to dangerous, possibly dangerous individuals. Yep. Yeah. I always try to frame it as like, we all have different roles. Right. And I have Mm -hmm. friends who are the Nazi punchers and that is not my role. I would hurt myself. And I am the (laughs) person who is like unintimidating and a white lady and can, you know, have tough conversations with people because the way I look. I'm five five. I'm I'm not gonna be punching any Nazis. (laughs) But thank God for the Nazi punchers, you know. Yeah, I mean, bless their hearts. Yeah. Um. Let me see here. Now, I I I think I know the answer to this, but what? Where do you stand on revolution versus reform? (laughs) <laughs> not reform but I, I think okay. that my my definition of revolution is maybe um 
pretty open, right? Mm-hmm. I'm 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 for a slow revolution if that's what it takes. Like we have to, we have to um, always be pushing for the end of capital and yeah. the end of hierarchies. But at the same time, we can't we can't thumb our nose at actions or legislation that actually benefits people. Yeah, yeah, it's a harm reduction thing for me. Um, and I, you know, every election cycle, I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> yeah, sort of beat myself up. But um, you know, because there is the case for like, well, harm reduction keeps people passive. It keeps things like just bearable mm. enough, but. I think that like with climate collapse and late stage capitalism, there will be a breaking point regardless of what we do. Um, fortunately yeah. or unfortunately, depending on how you're <laughs> framing it. <laughs> it's just, it's just finding that catalyst that will make people um, become aware of the reality of the future that their children are inheriting. Yeah. Yeah, I, each generation becomes a little bit more disenchanted because mm-hmm. there are less options available to us. So I don't know. It's only a matter of time. I mean, when I, when um, I was young, I would vehemently argue against third party voting mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because that I that was just a ridiculous thing to do. Mm-hmm. You want <laughs> at that time you want bush senior to win right but i i can't find it in me to argue against either voting not voting or voting third party yep yeah same it's it's like at this point for me and and i think a lot of people would disagree with this but at this point for me it's a lot like people's dietary choices i'm like you know you do what's ethical for you (laughs) yeah so you can sleep at night (laughs) but it's yeah and the thing with um veganism is that's a choice that that people that people of a certain class are able to make not everybody has the same choice a certain class and certain bodies my body would not survive on a vegan diet (laughs) (laughs) i'm with you So, um, do you think that there's any hope for a left-wing party in the United States? No. Or do you think that, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't because of the way, ne- we, bleh, I can't talk. I don't because of the way neoliberalism functions. I think that in the United States, um, you know, the state acts in its own interest and there's no reason for the state to either allow for one party to, to radicalize leftward or to mm-hmm. allow a third party that would be, you know, some version of the radical left. When well, there was talk of, you know, when QAnon was at its height and there was talk of, like, Trump starting his own party, I was like, huh, maybe. Like, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I don't think it's possible to the left. Well, nobody nobody wins, right? <laughs> in that in that scenario, yeah. I mean, we can just watch the progression of like quote unquote radical politicians. 
Um, do you yeah. think the acceleration is uh, the only option for uh, radicalizing a working class? Eh. Eh. I, I, when I think about it um, in terms of ideology, like it makes sense. Like I understand why people are accelerationists, but then when I think about the human impact, it does not mm-hmm. make sense to me. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's because why I take the focus on dual power. <laughs> like, let's just build alternative structures to protect each other. <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah. Um, we're coming up on time. I was hoping that you could <laughs> give us uh, your future predictions, both positive and negative, and what you see for uh both uh, left-wing politics and the state of the world uh attaining any kind of consciousness oh god is this because my name is cassandra (laughs) i'm not making the connection she was uh uh the prophetess she was cursed by apollo to always predict true but no one would believe her um, because she wouldn't fuck him. So she was the one who was like, not the Trojan horse. And and then they didn't believe her. Um, yes, I should have made that connection. <laughs> so um, foolish. <laughs> predictions. I don't know. I mean, I, I the last year has taught me that anything could happen, you know? So I think that continued... Uh, climate catastrophes it and increased um, pace and you know increased in terms of like how terrible they are it is going to be a big factor and that's going to continue to make conditions Mm -hmm. harder and harder for the working class and I mean we've already seen that millennials are jaded right but the Mm -hmm. younger generations are so much more openly uh, opposed to our political system and so much more class conscious than I ever could have been at that age. (laughs) Uh, Absolutely. So so if nothing else, um, you know, time will pass, things will get worse, and the already more radicalized younger generations will hopefully, hopefully lead the way, you know? Yeah, I mean, so so much energy and bitterness. (laughs) we, We keep, we keep pushing it down to the next generation. Yeah. You know, is how it feels like at this point. Yeah, totally. But um is there anything that you wanted to wanted to get out here? Wanted to talk about? I don't know. I don't think um, so. This is a fun project. I'm glad you're doing it. Yeah, me too. I've been having a lot of fun. Yeah. Um do you wanna maybe explain the differences between uh, defund and abolishing the police? Yeah, I mean, I think that just comes down to whether you're a reformist or an abolition. Mm-hmm. Um, I So there's a really great book called, oh shit, my brain. Um, <laughs> fuck. We, we do this till we free us. Um, that just came out last year earlier this year anyway 
Um, it's a really great book all about abolition and transformative justice. And there's an excellent essay in it that I will not remember the title of, but it's about um, police reforms to support and not to support and why. And it does a really excellent job of outlining um, some of the ways that police reform can actually be more damaging. So I don't know, I'd recommend that book to anyone, but my, my end goal is abolishing the police mm-hmm. because simply defunding them means that we still have police in yeah. a, a racist <laughs> system. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I was reading, um, hearing an article about how HR plays a role in allowing, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> allowing police to continue their, um, their brutality of the impoverished mm. by by constantly uh, checking that box that says they they went through racial sensitivity training. They're yeah. allowed to just continue to brutalize minorities, but maintain yeah. the image of making progress. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean. it it just feels like another example of the state will protect itself and it is not in the state's interest to become more class or race conscious. (laughs) So the dudes with guns protecting the state are going to act in the best interest of the state, whether or not we defund them. I agree fully. Um, It's a depressing point to end on. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, what what inspires you now to uh, keep moving forward? Yeah, mutual aid. The way I've seen groups pop up since the beginning of the pandemic, um, mm-hmm. mutual aid groups, and then the way I've seen those groups adapt to massive protests. And then in my area, the way those groups just adapted again to deal with um, climate catastrophes like massive wildfires, that shit brings me lots of hope. We're mm-hmm. so flexible. We're so flexible and adaptable. It's really amazing. Oh, absolutely. And this recent, the, the pandemic and the mass shootings and mm-hmm. um, just the sheer wealth disparity as it accelerates, mm-hmm. it really, uh, it brings people together to fight a common common enemy. Yep. And it, it, it highlights the it highlights the uh, the broken structures in our system right now. Yeah, totally. I I think we underestimate how revolutionary mutual aid work can be—not charity work, but mm-hmm. actual community building mutual aid. Mm-hmm. Yay! Well, that's a happier point to end on. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, thank you so much for joining me, Cassandra. I yeah, thank it. you. It was good to meet you and, and talk with you like this yeah. instead of through TikTok videos. We should do this again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Um, you have a wonderful evening. You too. Good night. Good night. Bye. <laughs>